Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 13. For this episode, I'll be talking about the murder of Martha Agnew and the unsolved murder of Tammy Niver. For this case, I watched the ID documentary Murder in Ypsilanti, Keith Morrison Investigates, which is my biggest source. My other sources for today's episode are MLive.com, Fox2Detroit.com, People, CharlieProject.org, and The Daily Mail. All these sources are posted in today's show notes. A young woman discovers her mother dead in the bedroom. She was just laying there. I knew she was gone, but I didn't want to believe it. Was it murder? That was the question. Who did this? How did she die? A journalist trying to answer that question discovers a second mystery from the past. Another name came up from 25 years ago. Two Michigan mysteries with one thing in common. Love. She said, oh, he's he's so nice. He was Mr. Perfect. Mr. Just Right. He gets in her head, and he parks himself there, and she just falls for it. A willing volunteer becomes compromised. By that time, she was already in love with him. Yes. And two grieving families wonder if they'll ever find justice. Today's case takes place in Ypsilanti, Michigan. The two cases take place 25 years apart, and as Keith said, the thing they have in common is love and both women just so happened to have gotten involved with the same man. In February 2018, a reporter named Darcy Moran of the Detroit Free Press received an email about the murder of a woman named Martha Agnew. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Reporter Darcy Moran was sitting at her desk at the Ann Arbor News when an email popped up on her screen. It was February 2018. It is this email that says someone has died And do we know who killed her? An email from a stranger implying murder. The victim supposedly someone named Martha. Martha Agnew. This is the first time Darcy heard of this, so she called the police. She also began her own search, which took her down a rabbit hole. It led her to another case. This case was an unsolved case from 25 years earlier. The woman's name was Tammy Niver, and the two women had a connection. Peppered through the Tammy Niver story, she found connections between these two women, Tammy and Martha, who met their fates 25 years apart. We started talking about what the next steps were, because even with the threads that we had, bringing it up 25 years later without knowing what it is or why it connects to this case puts us in a difficult position. To unpack the whole twisted tale, Darcy would have to return to a hot August morning in 1993 in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Ypsilanti is a small town. It's just west of Ann Arbor, which they call themselves Towny. It's kind of a city that acts like a town, but Ypsi is quite smaller. And Ypsi that morning is where someone spotted the car. So first, we are going to go back to August 1993. Darcy's boss actually covered the story when it first broke. 
Tammy Niver was a 24-year-old single mom of two girls. A car was found abandoned near Eastern Michigan University near the Huron River. Beautiful. 24 years old. Something special about Tammy. She had this soul that just drew everyone to her from the moment her feet hit the ground. Christina was the older sister. That's her on the right. But it was almost like she and Tammy were one person. We were inseparable. We held hands till we were nine, ten years old. We were always close, always close. And she, Tammy, was very smart. She always did well in school. She made friends easily. And she just seemed to be a natural beauty. Tammy wasn't reported missing until her friend Martha reported it. In fact, the car was Martha's and Tammy had taken it to run some errands and never returned. Christina was at work when she found out her sister was missing. Christina Niver was in work in August of 1993 when she got the news that her sister Tammy was missing. Some detectives came and my boss came down and got me and I met them outside and they were questioning me about when's the last time I saw her and did I know anything. It took the wind right out of me. It crushed my world. The police began their investigation and at first they thought she was maybe somewhere in the river. The police had every kind of search you could think of, helicopters, cadaver dogs, and divers. The case of the missing young mother became the main news story in Ypsilanti. 24-year-old Tammy Nivers has been missing since Saturday. Her roommate is afraid something may have happened to her. If there's anybody out there who has any information, is there anything you'd want to say to them? Just call us. Call anybody. Anybody anywhere. The Washington Sheriff's Department suspected the worst. My gut tells me that uh, she's been seriously injured, if not uh, fall play is probably the, the most likely avenue that we're, we're looking into now. They searched from helicopters. They did divers in the Huron River. They had canine searches. People clambered through the forest. I mean, it was a massive effort. Tammy's friend Martha was watching her daughters, Portia and Nikki. Tammy and Martha met when they lived at the same apartment building. They were both moms, and there were several young moms that became friends. Martha also had temporary custody of the girls. Tammy's sister said she was under a lot of stress with work and school, but she would never leave her daughters. Tammy was also diabetic and needed to take insulin three times a day. The police suspected foul play from the very start. Many people went out every day to search for Tammy. However, her sister Christina was pregnant, so they told her to stay home. Christina was heartbroken that she couldn't help search for her sister. They limited how much I could participate because I was pregnant and they were concerned that it would um, disrupt my pregnancy, which I was angry about. Yeah, I imagine you want to get out there. How did it feel to be kept out of the search that way? I don't even know how to put words to that. I was so heartbroken. That's all I wanted to do was find her. That's all I wanted to do was look in every 
crack and crevice, every under every rock, under every... I just wanted to look. On the night Tammy disappeared, she had gone to work at the local dry cleaners, ran errands, and stopped by her on-and-off boyfriend Greg Agnew's apartment. Greg was also the dad of Tammy's youngest daughter, Nikki. When the police found out that Tammy had gone to Greg's, they wanted to question him. Greg told the police that Tammy had been in his apartment around 12 a.m., they had sex, and then she left. Greg said he had reported Tammy missing the next day as well, when she didn't come back like she said she would. Greg was asked why he and Tammy had broken up, and Greg said Tammy was a jealous person and he didn't want to be with her. Inside his apartment, they found Tammy's purse. Her insulin was not in her purse. The place also reeked of cleaning supplies, despite it being quite dirty. They also found a shovel and garbage bags, but when they went back the next day with a search warrant, the shovel and bags were gone. What was Greg hiding? A witness also came forward. They said that they saw Greg near the abandoned car on the night Tammy disappeared. His pants had been wet and he was running away. The police needed to bring Greg in for more questioning. The police also believed that Tammy was not alive anymore. It was only after Tammy was reported missing that detectives started connecting dots. Can you give me your full name? Five days after Tammy's disappearance, Greg agreed to come into the station for a second interview. He spoke to the original investigator. What I want you to tell me about sort of thing made Tammy jealous, Greg said, and it took a toll on their relationship. Finally, Greg said it came to a breaking point, so they split up. Tammy took her two daughters and moved out of that apartment complex and stayed with a friend. In his police interview, Greg continued to claim that despite the breakup, she came over around midnight on that fated August night and they had sex. So you guys uh, drink your beer and you're kicking up for a few minutes and then uh, you guys made love. And then what happened? So she went to the bathroom and cleaned up. And she said, well, I guess it's about time for me to go. I said, yo, this is that. Greg said he watched Tammy drive away and that's when he took a walk. Greg stuck to his story, but this time he said he saw Tammy leave around 2 a.m. and he went for a walk. Greg was asked again if he ever got jealous or violent with Tammy, and Greg said it was the other way around. However, Christina, Tammy's sister, said Greg was the jealous one. She also said he had been abusive and that Tammy just shrugged it off. Never, ever violent, he said. But investigators had also talked to Tammy's sister. And Christina said Greg was the jealous one, not Tammy. Jealous and watchful. He would make her carry the walkie-talkie and he would keep in conversation with her. 
And she said that Greg was worried that she had a man in the apartment waiting for her. He was jealous. He was very jealous, very suspicious. He even disabled her car to keep her from going on a family trip without him. Greg would go out and claim that he was checking the oil and fluids and making sure that everything was okay for the travel. And before you know it, the car's not running. So we'd have to cancel the trip. Oh boy. And then we all disperse and wouldn't you know it, suddenly the car was okay. There was another person that thought Tammy was being abused and that Greg killed Tammy. It was Tammy's friend, Martha. Martha thought Greg was so guilty and that she wanted to help. She offered her assistance to the police and told them she'd wear a wire. Christina was convinced Greg had done something to her sister. And she wasn't the only one. Martha early on suspected, as many people did, that Greg was responsible for Tammy's disappearance. Not only that, Martha told police she wanted to get involved in the case. She offered to help investigators by wearing a recording device. That was a promising development, I would think. Very, very. Martha, remember, had temporary custody of Tammy's daughters, which meant she'd be seeing Greg. It was an offer the detectives couldn't refuse. So they wired her up and then watched and waited. No way they could have imagined what would come next. Martha was meeting with the police regularly for a while despite her sister's protests until one day in early 1994 she stopped meeting with them. Martha and Greg started spending more time together and they fell in love. What did happen was almost unbelievable. Martha shifted from suspecting that Greg was responsible to forming a, a romantic relationship with him. That's right. Martha fell in love with Greg Agnew. He was able to take somebody who was, by all accounts, quite confident that he was responsible for Tammy's disappearance and cooperating with police and even going as far as to wear a recording device to having things shift into a romantic relationship between the two of them, which ultimately ended her cooperation with investigators. And that, that told us a lot about the type of person he was and what he's capable of. Martha's sisters believe she fell in love with Greg because he was the fix-it guy. He would do handyman and odd jobs around the community. Martha's daughters, Michelle and Kristen, spent time with him and he became their dad. Martha saw him as the fix to her problems. She even let Greg get close to her three kids, Michelle, Jerry, Kristen, all started spending time with him, lots of time. He was good to you? Yes, yeah. As bought you gifts and things he did mm -hmm. as they spent more time with him greg was becoming a father figure he was dad well, you know he was always in your life yes he was dad <laughs> for Kristen, especially so she was just a year old when her mother fell for greg you were daddy's little girl i was daddy's little girl <laughs> he'd always wake up uh cook us breakfast he'd bang on pots and pans which was very annoying um, we would go fishing, we'd go on car rides, camping. He was always there. He helped us with a lot. Was he a relaxed sort of person? Not for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> he was very, uh, 
very sheltering. He always wanted to make sure we were safe. Safe? Martha clearly believed in Greg. However, Christina, Tammy's sister, never changed her mind about Greg. In 2013, new detectives were put on the Tammy Niver case. Greg had allegedly told Martha that he did kill Tammy. He pushed her and that it was an accident. The police really wanted to question Martha, so on November 8, 2014, Martha was served with a subpoena. The police wanted to question her under oath. They also went to arrest Greg for a probable cause, but when they arrived, Greg had barricaded himself in the house. Greg refused to come outside. He barricaded himself in a bedroom at the rear of the house. So we had to force the door open to go in and get him from that point. Did he know why they'd come for him? He must have. After he was taken into custody and he was being escorted uh, to one of our patrol cars, he made the excited utterance to Martha. He said, see, Martha, I told you that this was about Tammy. Greg Agnew was finally under arrest. And all the detectives had to do now was get Martha to repeat a story she supposedly told a friend. Greg was taken into jail and held in a cell while Martha was questioned. She denied it and Greg was released. Martha called her sisters later that day and she said she and Greg were going to get married on November 17th. Martha's daughters were divided. Michelle started to believe Greg may have been guilty and Kristen didn't believe he was capable of it. So Martha and Greg got married. Sheila, Martha's sister, didn't attend. Martha went home too, of course, and made a big announcement. She calls me and tells me, like, on the 12th of November, the 13th of November, after this happened. So Greg and I are getting married on November 17th at our house. And I'm like, what? You're getting married? And I'm like, why are you doing this? She came over and she said to me right away, I'm going to marry your dad because I don't ever want to have to be questioned ever again. Mary Greg would give Martha spousal privilege meaning she couldn't be compelled to testify against Greg. Once again, Martha's daughters were divided. What did you say to that? I was angry. I thought it was a horrible idea. I was actually really happy. My parents are finally getting married. Tell me about the wedding. It was fun. I, my mom was really happy. My dad was happy. We had it right in their living room. <laughs> She was really happy. Their Aunt Sheila took a hard pass on the wedding. She and her father had made up their minds about Greg long ago. My dad and I talked about that. You know, someday after I die, she's going to marry him. I was like, I hope she doesn't. I'm like, I'm not going. So I didn't go. Greg filed a lawsuit against the police for wrongful arrest. The county settled with him but still said they didn't do anything wrong. Greg and Martha seemed to go on with their lives until October 2017, Martha called her daughter. She said she and Greg were fighting and she was ready to leave him. It was October 2017, three years after that abortive arrest. Kristen was on the phone with her mom. She's crying. I'm like, what's going on? And I could hear my dad yelling in the background. So I said, do you need me to come over? Like, what's going on? I've never heard her cry like that. She just said that she had to get out of the house and asked if she could stay the night, and I said, of course. Martha told her daughter she was done. She needed to get away from Greg. And I asked her, are you, are you sure? 
that you're ready to leave him. I need to know that this is real. And she said, he held me down and he wouldn't let me leave and then took my phone and ripped it out of my hands and told me that if I leave, never to come back. The following day was Martha's birthday. So Martha went out for dinner with her daughters and when they left the restaurant, her car was gone. A few days later, there was a fire at Greg and Martha's home. It was ruled as an accident and Greg pocketed the insurance money. The police were aware of their failing marriage, so they tried to talk to Martha again. Her story remained the same. Martha filed for divorce, and she was ready to move on. However, Martha and Greg were sharing a rental home as they were going through their divorce. On February 17, 2018, Martha was supposed to go to her daughter Kristen's. It was February 17, 2018, and Martha had a plan. In fact, it had become a routine. She was going to pick up her grandson from Kristen's house and spend the day with him. She always came early. Always. So I got up at 9 o'clock because I knew she was going to at least be there by 10. Yeah. I actually got laundry ready for her to do for me. Also part of Martha's routine. Except... 10.30 goes by, she's still not there, and I'm calling, she's not answering. What, did, what were you thinking? Were you worried? I was scared. I was terrified. Why? Because she wasn't answering the phone. It's not like her. Something was wrong. Yeah, and even if she, you know, she wasn't ready to come get my son, she still would have answered the phone. I know that she still wasn't sleeping. Kristen thought maybe she was running late, but after a while, she went over to the rental home. Kristen knocked on the door multiple times. It was locked and no one was answering, so she called Greg. Greg came over and unlocked the door. Martha's purse and water bottle were on the counter, like she was packing up to head to Kristen's. Kristen called for her mom and walked into her bedroom and found Martha on her bed. She was dead. She called her sister and then she called 911. Kristen had been screaming on that phone call, hysterical. Michelle was in Ohio with her in-laws. Right away, she got in the car, rushed to Michigan. God, it was like the worst car ride. I was screaming um, at, like, God, and saying, like, if there's a way, you know, just bring her back, just bring her back. Like... We really need her. I really need her. My kids really need her. But beyond the unrelenting grief, there was something else, too. Something she heard Kristen say that kept playing on in her mind. I said, are you safe? Is dad there? And she said, he left me here. He left me here with her dead. Martha was found on her bed under a blanket. She had a towel on her head like she had just gotten out of the shower. A needle and syringe were found on the dresser as well as coffee grounds and a tequila bottle. The towel on Martha's head was removed and the towel was soaked with blood. There was a laceration on the top of her head. There was no blood at the scene. In fact, it looked too clean, just like Greg's apartment did back in 1993. 
There was also no forced entry in the scene look stage, and it looked like it was supposed to look like Martha had overdosed. Martha's autopsy showed that she had fentanyl and heroin in her system. It wasn't what killed her, though. Her cause of death was strangulation. Greg's DNA was found under her fingernails and on the syringe. The police also did further testing in the rental home. They did a test with luminol, which is used to find traces of blood. The test showed that the crime must have happened in the bathroom. There was blood everywhere. Most of the blood was found in the bathtub, and the theory is that Greg killed Martha, rinsed her off, and then placed her in the bed. It was also discovered that Martha had texted Greg that day about the police being there, and that Greg came home and went into a rage. The police also found Greg's jumpsuit, which had blood on it, and that was a match to Martha. Five months later, Greg was arrested and charged with murder. On August 26, 2019, Greg's trial began. Martha and Tammy's stories were told, as well as the evidence pointing to Greg. Greg Agnew's trial got underway on August 26, 2019. The jury didn't just hear about Martha. They heard the long-forgotten story of Tammy Niver. In August of 1993, a young woman by the name of Tammy Niver was in a relationship with Greg Agnew. Tammy's sister, Christina, was in the courtroom that day. All the things I've seen and heard in that courtroom, it shook me. It shook me. It wasn't like you see on TV. Um, that was real, and it was surreal. And when the prosecutor moved on from Tammy's story to Martha's, what was that like? Um, it was really emotional. There was a lot of mixed feelings. Because <laughs> I was really sad at some parts. And then I was really angry. Um, it was hard to go through everything again. As for evidence that Greg killed Martha, it was all over that rental house, said the prosecutor. There's blood spatter on the wall. There's blood on the floor. And I believe that he held her down, either with his arm or his knee, over her, over her neck while he's trying to inject her with the fentanyl uh, heroin combination. He drags her body into the bathroom, gets her into the bathtub, cleans off her body, puts her into the bed. And the DNA, including her blood on his blue jumpsuit, made it unequivocal, said the prosecutor. The defense argued that Greg lived there, so of course his DNA was going to be there. The defense also said Martha was an alcoholic and a druggie, which wasn't true. Martha occasionally drank and recreationally used drugs, but not that often. Greg testified. He said that both Martha and Tammy were the abusers, not him. The defense called one last witness, Greg Agnew himself. Greg took the stand to answer any and all questions officially about one murder. But in truth, as must have been clear to the jury, about two. One woman dead and one long missing. Let me ask you this. 26 years ago, Tammy, Tammy Niver disappeared. Did you have anything to do with that? No. Did you have anything at all to do with the death of Martha? No, I did not. Well, Greg would have plenty more to say about the two women that would force a surprise witness to come forward. Greg acted like he couldn't comprehend what was being asked. The prosecutor thought it was an act. 
because while he was in jail, he was talking to his sister and she seemed just fine and was acting normally. He also joked with his sister about what he was going to eat once he got out of jail. Another one of Greg's exes named Connie Brown testified. She said she too was a victim of Greg's. She said everything was great with Greg until you chose to leave him. The trial lasted two weeks, and after a three-hour deliberation, the jury reached a verdict. The trial went on for two full weeks. And the jury had a verdict in three and a half hours. Greg was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Martha and her family got the justice they deserved, but what about Tammy? Martha's family and Darcy from the Detroit Free Press are still investigating her case. Tammy's daughters want answers, too. Detectives Reisenden and Babich are still on the case, determined, they said, to close it by charging Greg Agnew with Tammy's murder. What is your level of confidence that Tammy's murder will ever be resolved? We're very close. We're very, very close. We're probably a few pieces away from moving forward with that. If only for this, for Tammy's daughters. I want to know what happened. I want to know why it happened. And I want to know where her body is. That's just so heartless to me. It, it is a suffering for me. There is no getting over it. I try, you know, I laugh and smile a lot, but... It's always there. And that pain is always, always there. And every year on their mother's birthday, Nikki and Portia listen to their Aunt Christina tell stories. I feel so terrible for Martha and Tammy's families. I really hope that they can find evidence to prove that Greg killed Tammy too. From this documentary, I don't believe it was anyone else that would want to hurt Tammy. Plus, Greg had pro has proven that he's abusive and a liar. He deserves to rot in prison. My book recommendation for this week is The Flight Attendant by Chris Bojalin. Summary. Cassandra Bowden is no stranger to hungover mornings. She's a binge drinker, her job with the airline making it easy to find adventure, and the occasional blackouts seem to be inevitable. She lives with them, and the accompanying self-loathing self-loathing when she awakes in a dubai hotel room she tries to piece the previous night back together already counting the minutes until she has to catch her crew shuttle to the airport she quietly slides out of bed careful not to aggravate her already pounding head and looks at the man she spent the night with she sees his dark hair his under his utter stillness and blood a slick still wet pool on the crisp white sheets Afraid to call the police, she's a single woman alone in a hotel room far from home. Cassie begins to lie. She lies as she joins the other flight attendants and pilots in the van. She lies on the way to Paris as she works the first-class cabin. She lies to the FBI agents in New York who meet her at the gate. Soon, it's too late to come clean or face the truth about what really happened back in Dubai. Could she have killed him? If not, who did? So it's also a new HBO show starring Kaylee Cuoco. I read the book first several years before the show came out and then watched the show with my family over Christmas. And then I read the book again. I usually have a preference when I read a book and watch a show, but I couldn't decide between the book and show because I like them both. The show follows the book pretty closely, minus a few characters and details. I also really enjoyed reading the book again. There are so many twists, turns, and secrets, and I recommend reading it and watching the show if you haven't already. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, subscribe to my blog. Follow me on Instagram at It's Crime O'Clock Somewhere Blog Pod. Email me at It's Crime O'Clock Somewhere Blog Pod at gmail.com. And please leave me a review if you enjoy the show. I'd also love to collaborate with any fellow podcasters or put a preview of your show on my podcast. Let me know if you're interested. And I'll be back next week. And remember, it's Crime O'Clock Somewhere.